Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word welcome to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back and it'll ask for your name and email address. And just put in that information and you'll get more information about The Well, including my weekly email that I send out every Friday. Thanks for being with us today. And uh, today is the Sunday after Christmas and uh, we're starting our new sermon series, If God Gave You a Brain, It's Okay to Use It in Church, January 10th. So we have a couple of Sundays here in between, and today I want to show you a message given by a friend of mine named Joshua Clough. Joshua is the campus pastor of Church of the Resurrection in Overland Park, Kansas. And his message today is entitled, Joy on the Other Side of Christmas. We, especially this year, have looked forward to anything that could give us any kind of hope and sense of, of lightness and something to celebrate. And now that Christmas is over, maybe you feel let down a little bit. Um, that's common. You know, we look forward to Christmas and we're, we're busy and there's the hustle and bustle of getting ready for Christmas. And then Christmas comes and goes. And afterwards, it can be a bit of a letdown, especially on a year like this. So if you feel like that, Joshua's message uh, entitled Joy on the Other Side of Christmas is about experiencing joy even when we don't have something like Christmas to look forward to. Even in difficult times, even when we face something challenging, we can still find joy in that experience. So I invite you to watch now uh, my friend Joshua Clough, Joy on the Other Side of Christmas. Well, there is one thing that gives me a lot of joy. Actually, there are many things, but one thing in particular is running. I love getting up in the morning and going out for my morning run. Uh, about eight months ago, my wife Claire and I moved here to Kansas City, and, and we love being a part of this church. We love being in the Kansas City area. Um, but I have to tell you that uh, my first appointment, the very first church that I ever served was on the island of Kauai in Hawaii. And uh, Claire and I are most recently moving from San Diego. And so this photo gives you just an image of what my week has been like. <laughs> I'd like to invite us to take out our Grow, Pray, and Study Guides. My hope is that uh, today our hearts will be inspired and encouraged and maybe even challenged. The question that I want to ask is this. How do we experience joy on the other side of Christmas? In other words, we have rushed through the Christmas holiday with decorating and parties and, and family and all the great stuff of Christmas, the celebrating that happens, and, and now we're on the other side of Christmas, and we begin to wrestle with, well, what do we do now? And today we'll look at Simeon and Anna, and they don't make it into the nativity story, but I think that their response to Jesus has something to teach us and how we might continue to live with joy on the other side of Christmas. And so first I want to take us to the temple with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And the story that occurs in the temple is not the beginning. In fact, the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, isn't just the beginning of the story. The story begins in the Old Testament with the prophets, especially Isaiah and others, who would prophesy the coming of the Messiah. And so Jesus' birth is right here in the middle of the story, and it's a harbinger for what is to come next. One tradition that uh, my family has is every Christmas Eve, we would go and gather at my grandmother's house, 
We'd enjoy the evening, and inevitably, my mom would ask me to read the Christmas story. Um, Sheepishly, I would oblige. You can't say no to mom when she asks you to read the Bible. And so I would begin to read this story in front of my cousins and my sisters and the rest of my family. And we would start with the Annunciation to Mary and Mary's awe at what is about to happen. And she runs to Elizabeth with worry and her and Elizabeth share their worry and their concern together because Elizabeth is also going to give birth to a son. And then I I wonder about Zechariah and what his weight must have been like, unable to speak waiting for the birth of his son, John. And and then I, I think about Joseph and what must have been going through his mind as he awaited the birth of, of Jesus, not yet married to Mary. And, and then by the time you get to these shepherds who see this vision of angels singing to them, I begin to find myself captivated by the story. And, and then you come to the Magi and they travel many miles to see Jesus. And, and that's usually the point where we would close the Bible and, and that's the Christmas story that my family would share But there's an important piece of the story that I also want us to hear. And Luke gives us these important details. It it occurs sometime after the birth of Jesus, perhaps somewhere between eight days and and maybe up to 40 days. And it must have occurred perhaps before Jesus and Mary and Joseph escape Herod's slaughter of the innocents uh, that Matthew's gospel tells. And so we see the story from Luke. And he, he says that, Led by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so they could do what was customary under the law. And Luke tells us about these two well-known Jewish traditions. And the first one would have been the circumcision of Jesus. This typically happened eight days after the birth of a Jewish child. And it's often when the child is given their name. We call this the presentation of Jesus. And then there is the second element, and this is Mary's offering in the temple. Mary uh, goes forward with what is called the the ritual of purification after childbirth, some 33 days, and it was even longer for uh, girls that were born. And so she goes into the temple and she offers two turtle turtle doves or, or pigeons. And this was all that Mary could afford. This is all that Mary and Joseph could afford. They were a humble family just seeking to live their faith. And I think it's a sign for us that Jesus was sent to the last and the least. Out of these conditions of, of poverty, Jesus was born to present good news and hope. And, and oftentimes when we look back and we read in the scriptures these, uh, these rituals of faith, our modern minds don't always understand what's going on. And I think the important point for us to understand, though, is the incredible faith with which Mary and Joseph lived, this desire to be faithful, this desire to come and worship God in the temple, to worship and give thanks for what had just happened. But Luke is also sensitive to a different situation, a joyless situation, the joyless situation of the Jewish people. Luke is writing somewhere around 20 to 40 years after Jesus' life and ministry, and about this time, the, the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. The Romans had completely obliterated it, and the Jewish people had experienced much persecution under this Roman occupation. 
the Romans periodically encroached upon this Jewish temple. For example, at one point in the temple's history, um, there was a gymnasium that was built almost across the street. You could see the gymnasium from the temple. And uh, in those days, people went to the gymnasium to exercise and work out naked. I thought I would show you a picture of that, but then I realized I want to keep my job. But I will show you uh, another structure that was built. There was also the Antonia Fortress. We have a, a picture of this that was built on one of the corners of the temple. You see the temple in the center and, and then the, the fortress on one of those corners. And the Roman soldiers would, would go up to the top of those structures and they would peer over the side of the wall and they would spy on the Jewish religious leaders, the priests, to see what was happening. And, and so the Jewish leaders had these laws that forbade anyone who was not Jewish from entering certain parts of the temple, and especially the innermost, the holiest, the inner sanctum of the temple. And so Luke, Luke himself is an outsider. Luke is a Gentile. And he's writing out of his own understanding of what has happened in this joyless situation of the Jewish people. And he sees the incredible faith, the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph, but also of the struggle of the Jewish people persecuted by Romans and so it's with the temple as a backdrop that we hear Simeon's joy as he sings this song. Traditionally, it's called the Nunc Dimittis, which simply means, now you dismiss. And so Simeon sings these words, now, master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. Imagine the overwhelming feeling that Mary and Joseph must have been feeling as they enter the temple and then Simeon begins to sing these words about their son, Jesus. Jesus, who would be told is the light of the world, who's the long-awaited-for Messiah. Jesus would, would not only be the hope and the light and the redemption of Israel, but he would be the redemption of everyone, even you and, and me. I, imagine the, the overwhelming feeling that they must have felt, and, and this is the very first Christmas. And so we know the overwhelming feelings that we get around Christmas. We know the overwhelming feelings of rushing here and there and, and getting all the gifts in order and making sure everything looks just right and and then we come to Christmas, and it's one day, and it goes so quickly, and, and we worry, have we rushed through Christmas? Did we miss it? Simeon did not want to miss Christmas. Simeon didn't want to miss Christmas, and so he, he sings this song, and Simeon is often depicted as, as an older man. I have an image of him here. He's depicted with white hair, a growing beard, and... and nearly blind, uh, perhaps frail, waiting, waiting and waiting and longing for the birth of a Messiah. But I imagine him just a little bit differently. I mean, if you had been told that in your lifetime you would see Jesus in real flesh, you would see Jesus in your lifetime, don't you think you would have just a little more bounce in your step? You'd have a little more excitement and energy and enthusiasm regardless of your age. I, I think that's what Simeon must have been like and so Simeon is this pious and devout man. He's led by the Holy Spirit. 
And he's told that he'll see Jesus. He's waiting for the restoration, for the redemption, for the consolation. We, we could say for the comfort of Israel. And he would have known these words uh, from, from the prophet Isaiah. He would have had these words memorized. This is from Isaiah. But now says the Lord, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, don't fear for I have consoled you. I have redeemed you. I have comforted you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And then this is in the next chapter. I swept away your rebellions like a cloud and your sins like fog. Return to me because I have consoled you. Sing, heavens, for the Lord has acted. Shout, depths of the earth. And as Simeon remembers what was promised about the Messiah, he takes Jesus in his arms I imagine Mary cringing for a moment like any of the mothers in this room might do. Some man just taking your, your infant child. And Simeon blesses this, this little family. But it isn't a typical blessing. Simeon says this, This boy, Jesus, is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your innermost being too. He, he says that to Mary. Mary, your innermost being will be pierced as well. And, and Fred Craddock, who was an incredible uh, preacher, he was an incredible thinker, he wrote, he wrote this about this particular scripture. The inescapable fact is that anyone who turns on light creates shadows the, the consolation of our hopes and our fears, the, the comfort of our sorrows and pain, the comfort of our frustration and, and failure, the comfort of, of ourselves often comes through the piercing of our own souls, our own life. Simeon knew this about Jesus. Simeon knew this about Mary and Joseph. And so I simply want to ask, maybe you've experienced this kind of piercing in your own life. I know that in my own life, in my ministry, I've experienced moments of, of piercing pain, of frustration and failure and, and just feeling like you're falling on the sword. My guess is that many of us have probably felt something like this, and this is what Simeon tries to capture. Recently, I've, I've had a number of conversations with some families in our congregation, a couple at Care Night, and, and just this last week, a family sent in a prayer request. These families are going through the foster and adoption process. This is a, a complex process, and people need, children need to be adopted for many number of reasons. And, and as I was talking with this family, I, I, I learned about what it's like to, to take in a child as your own, to raise it from sometimes even birth and to find a home, to make a room for this child and, and to love and care for this child. And, and then there are court cases that you have, to, court appearances they have to go to. Uh, there is the preparation work that's required. And, and in talking with these families, I learned that that isn't the most difficult part. The most difficult part is actually the piercing pain with the reality that this child could at some point be taken from you. It's a pain that is very real. It's a pain that's very vulnerable. And I asked one family how they manage this piercing pain. She said, 
It's easy to stand on the sidelines so that you don't get hurt. God was calling us to step out, even though we could end up crushed. But she says, being vulnerable is a sign of trusting God, and it's worth it for that child. Because in this moment, we can pour out all our love on that one child. Joy is found in the most vulnerable places of our lives. Joy is found in the vulnerability of who we are and who God has called us to be. And, and this is what Simeon sees in Jesus, in Mary, in Joseph. So if, if Simeon sings, then I think Anna shouts. And not in the street preacher kind of way, standing on the corner, but in a way that says, I have so much passion and excitement because Jesus has been born and I've seen Jesus that, that Anna can't help but go run and, and tell anybody that she can. Have you heard? Have you heard yet? I have to tell you this. It's so exciting. And so Anna, Anna shouts. And put that image back up. I love this picture because in this picture there is so much joy. You can see it on Anna's face there. And, and then Simeon's in the picture as well. And we see the the importance of her actions. Anna was married for seven years. We read that she's married for seven years, and then she's widowed after that, and that must have been a painful moment. And she spends her, the rest of her life devoted to worshiping in the temple, to praising God in the temple. One way we could read the text is, just as we read it earlier, for eight, she was 84 years. But another way to read it is that she had actually been a widow for 84 years, which means that she very well could have been about 105 years old by the time she sees Jesus. She had been waiting and waiting this entire time, and she had devoted her entire life to waiting. Um, as a widow, it's an important detail. In the early church, it's thought that there may have been an order of the church, like deacons or elders. There might have been an order of the church that was specifically for widows. And widows had a specific job. They had an essential spiritual role in the life of the church. And it was to worship. It was to pray, to fast for themselves, for others, on behalf of others. Um, and further in Israel, the widow played a, a key role. And there were laws that governed how the community of Israel was supposed to care for the least and the lost, the last. Widows were a part of that. Widows were to be cared for by their families. Sometimes a family member would, would marry them. Uh, this is called a kinsman redeemer. And it was a way of ensuring that everyone was cared for in this community. Widowhood, though, was not preferred. However, Anna chooses this path. Anna chooses to find comfort in her own widowhood. And she probably heard these words from Isaiah with great comfort. Don't fear because you won't be ashamed. Don't be dismayed because you won't be disgraced. The one redeeming you is the Holy One of Israel, the one called the God of all the earth. And so Anna represents perhaps what is the best about Israel. It's Israel at its best, worshiping God worshiping God with their entire lives, devoted to giving thanks, to praising, waiting faithfully for the Messiah. And Anna becomes the first evangelist. Anna runs and she shouts and she tells anybody who will listen, Jesus has come. Simeon and Anna together, the, the fact that they're old is important, but it isn't just that. They're not just waiting 
in the temple, wasting their lives. They're actively seeking, actively living as if their lives would be changed by the news of this Messiah. The joy of Christmas changes us. I I believe this. The joy of Christmas absolutely changes us. One of the ways I I think it changes us is is this. Um, We have a number of congregational care ministers in our congregation. Congregational care ministers are are folks, lay folks, who um, go through training and they go and visit. They volunteer their time. They go visit in the hospital. They visit when, when people are sick, when people have received a terrible diagnosis, when they've lost loved ones, when a spouse or perhaps a child has died, and they, they devote many hours of their lives in ministry to care for you and, and me. We have over a hundred of them uh, through all of our different worshiping communities, and, and it's amazing that they spend so much time doing this, serving others, but what I respect even more than that is that so many of our congregational care ministers have their own stories of pain and sorrow, their own stories of discomfort and loss. And yet, in Jesus, they find joy, a joy that that helps them share with others their own pain and the joy they found on the other side. This last week, I was able to visit the hospitals, um, and I met met this incredible person named Ashley. Ashley, uh, for the past six years, has been in desperate need of a liver transplant. Um, When I arrived at the hospital to visit her, she sort of surprised me. She jumped up out of bed and she rushed toward me and gave me a hug. Uh, Once I caught caught myself, um, we sat down and and I got to talk with her a little bit. I knew she had had major surgery and so I just wanted to know more about what was going on in her life. And She visited Resurrection for the first time. Uh, on Christmas Eve Eve, and that experience, singing the songs and hearing the message and lighting the candle, completely changed her life in, in some incredible way, and she walked out feeling this sense of joy and love, despite the need for a new liver, despite the knowledge that if she didn't receive one, she would likely die. And so she left the service, and she went, and she found Pastor Adam out in the narthex and, and told him just how incredible the evening was. And then the next day, which would have been Christmas Eve, that night she receives a phone call uh, from the hospital and they said, how soon can you get here? We have a liver for you and we'd like to operate. And so by Christmas morning, Ashley was was in the hospital on their operating table and and, uh, she received a new organ. What an incredible Christmas gift, right? And so I just asked her a little bit about her story, and she shared with me that when she was a child, an adult in her life, someone whom she should have been able to trust, someone who was caring for her, exposed her to alcohol. This meant that her liver didn't develop appropriately, and, and over the course of her life, she made decisions that didn't help that situation, but without a new liver, she would not live much longer. And she told me that that pain was was overwhelming at times, and and often it was hard to find joy and comfort. And there were good days and there were bad days, and sometimes she felt more joy. What's amazing to me about her story is that in spite of all of that, she continued to live her life with, with purpose and faith. One of the things that she's been able to do is open up her home. She has a property in, in Kansas City, and 
And she's opened up her rooms to tenants who simply need a second chance, people who've been incarcerated or addicted, people who need a place to stay and other places won't accept them. She lived with a different kind of joy toward those people. And, and now as she's uncovered this joy, and this reality of new life, Ashley has gone around telling everybody, have you heard the good news? Running around like, like Anna, sharing the joy that she has. Sometimes joy comes in the form literally of, of new life. It's salvation. It's grace. It's hope and love. Sometimes it comes in the waiting and the longing. Sometimes joy comes in the form of second chances, and sometimes it, it comes when we simply share the light of Christ that's within us with other people. So what do you do on the other side of Christmas? We're on the other side of Christmas, and we've, we've celebrated, and we've had the parties. We've perhaps rushed through Christmas but we don't want to miss it. The Messiah has been born, now what? I think joy is, is comfort, finding comfort in the light of Christ. Joy is sharing the light of Christ. And so Simeon sings and Anna shouts. And together they help us understand what it means to live with that joy. Um, I asked my discipleship group, what, I teach this class on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's a group of about 35 of us, uh, young adults, 20s and 30s, and, and it's a really fun class because they let me nerd out and get really excited about studying the Bible, and it's so fun. Uh, they deal with me. Um, so I, I teach this class, and I asked them, uh, how do they find joy on the other side of Christmas? And, and a few people responded. I want to read their responses for you. One person said, the magic and hope of Christmas can be spread all year long. Find an act of kindness that you can do for someone else even if it's just bringing their trash cans in from the curb. Bring a meal to someone in need and join new church groups to make friends. Joy is found in community. Surround yourself with, with joyful people. Children are one of the best sources of joy. And they find truly mundane, absolutely, they find the truly mundane absolutely magical. Also, remember to find joy in the everyday. Even in times of sorrow, you can find one simple joy to focus on. Never let anyone or anything steal your joy. Another response was this. We find joy throughout the year by worshiping our fellowship in Christ and by serving. We open ourselves up for those God moments and discover joy in the blessings that we receive, but more so in the blessings that we give to others. And, and I'll share one last one. For me, it is the new year and the promise that it will be a new chapter in life and that we're leaving the expiring year behind us. It's the thought that it is a fresh start for us, and we have high expectations and wonder what fortunes the new year will bring us. Kind of like how since Jesus was born, this would be a new chapter for his people. A fresh start that he would bring hope and prosperity to a new age in the kingdom of God. We're all looking for joy. We all desire joy in our lives some of us are simply trying to, to do better. Some of us are trying to live healthier. Some of us are trying to dig into scripture a little bit more. Some of us are, are trying to treat our family and friends better as Jesus would treat them. For me, joy will be running a marathon this year. 
Um, even in the, the, the winter of the Midwest, I know it, it's going to hurt a little bit. And the race itself is going to hurt just a little bit. But for me, on the other side, there's joy. For some of us, perhaps seeking joy looks more like walking through chronic illness, knowing the pain of disease and depression, difficult diagnoses, and trying to figure out how do we live with joy in those difficult and challenging circumstances. I take comfort in the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Jesus told them before he went to the cross, before he gave up his life, he said, this road is difficult. You will experience hardship and pain and sorrow. But Jesus told them that even your sorrow will turn to joy because of me. So I want to close with this, with this poem by Henry Van Dyke. He was an author and pastor at the turn of the 20th century. He wrote the words, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, to Beethoven's music. And he proposed that we find joy on the other side of Christmas in this way. There is a better thing than the observance of Christmas Day, and that is keeping Christmas. Are you willing to forget what you have done for other people and to remember what other people have done for you? to stoop down and consider the needs and desires of little children, to remember the weakness and lowliness of people growing old, to try to understand what those who live in the same home with you really want without waiting for them to tell you, to believe that love is the strongest thing in the world, stronger than hate, stronger than evil, stronger than death, and that the blessed life which began in Bethlehem years ago is the image and brightness of the eternal love. In the poem he closes with, then you can keep Christmas. And if you can keep it for a day, why not always? But you can never keep it alone. And so I'll ask you, in what ways are you keeping Christmas? In what ways will you find joy on the other side of Christmas? And how will you share that joy with others? Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the incredible light that you brought into the world, that you bring into our lives even this day. Your light warms and comforts. Your light is the hope of the world, and, and you simply invite us to come and be present with you in your grace, in your love, in your care. Lord, some of us are are struggling in need of that comfort. Some of us are, perhaps for the first time, coming to you in hopes that we would find your grace. Perhaps some of us are returning after a long time to that comfort. Jesus, we pray that within us, you would instill a hope and a peace this Christmas season. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.